Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. Joining us as he does every Saturday at 10 o'clock, one of our favorite contributors, Nate Zielinski from Tightline Outdoors. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing good. I'm looking out the studio window, and it's nice and sunny. It looks like a. It's going to be. We're going to have this weather, this up and down weather. We're going to get warm, and it's going to be a little windy. And I'm sure you're going to talk to us about what that's going to do to some of the ice conditions on the front range. But at the same time, it's going to be a beautiful day. If you know, with the sun shining, to be out on the ice. If you find good ice, whether it's up in the mountains or down. But it's also going to get people starting to think about spring. And I think you kind of want to talk about both. I do, Terry. You know, it's that time of year where, I mean, I, I think the the very hardcore ice angler uh, dreads it when we start talking about open water. Uh, and when I wouldn't say we're there, but we're at the time where we definitely want to start thinking about it. We want to start talking about it. And then obviously we have ice. And Terry, this is that time of year where we are in kind of a I don't want to say a funky time, but our days are getting longer, um, which definitely does not help the ice. Obviously, the sunshine, UVs break down. Uh, that doesn't help the ice. Wind doesn't help the ice. But yet, we're still in January. We're still in a cold enough time to where even the really warm, hot days, um, our night times are still cold. Our ice build is still good at night. So we're kind of at that blend. I, I think we're at the point to where I don't think we're going to necessarily make more ice with our, our forecast for the future. Um, but I also think that we're cold enough at night to where, you know, the, the nights and the days kind of blend out to be kind of even. So, um, again, I, I don't think we're necessarily at a point where we're going to, like, save an ice season. We're not going to build more ice. But the ice that we have is going to hold off a little while longer, uh, and the fishing is good on the front range. So front range ice, again, I wouldn't plan on building more, but I think we'll hold on to what we have for, for a little while longer, which, which is good for, for all the anglers out there with that being said. Well, I think you're right. I think it's that time. The front range ice this year, and it it happens a lot of years, there can be some incredible fishing opportunities, but you have to approach all these front range lakes with caution because you don't know if they're putting water into the lake or dropping the levels or what the ice is doing or if they're springs. But as long as you're careful and really check, there's some tremendous opportunities. Here on the front range, if you heard me talking to uh, Doug from north park you know a lot of the mountain lakes are getting pretty heavy ice and their sunshine isn't getting through the green isn't growing underneath and the fish can get a little lethargic sometimes it varies from lake to lake but in the front range because of there's some still some influx of water the fishing can stay pretty good right till ice out can it Absolutely, Terry. And honestly, you know, of any fishery, any species in the state, we obviously always thrive on first ice and last ice. Early and late ice is your best fishing. I mean, regardless of the species, even if you have a a fall spawning fish versus a spring spawning fish, you know, right when that lake really stabilizes at first ice, uh, your fish are active, they thrive, it's always good fishing. And then midwinter, nothing is ever bad, but especially on the shallow water fisheries, your Anteros, your shallow water portions of 11 Mile, your North Park lakes, you definitely do get uh, a little slowdown just with slightly less oxygen levels. Not saying that it's going to affect the, the overall fish or you know the health of the fish, but they definitely get a, a little bit more you know that slowdown. Um, and then obviously late ice, as you start getting an influx of oxygen in the water, you get fish just basically you know, getting gross 
grumpy from being under ice cap. You got spring spawning situation. Um, so late ice and early ice is best in regards to the front range. Uh, you know, your Cherry Creeks, Chatfields, and all those front range bodies of water up and down the whole front range. Um, I have to say that late ice is my favorite, more so than even first ice. Now, we had a tremendous walleye bite at, at Chatfield, Cherry Creek. Cherry Creek, you know, very much in particular right around that Christmas time. Uh, I mean, that bite was literally on fire. It's still going good. I'd say it, it slowed down just a hair, uh, but but nothing crazy. But honestly, Terry, as we approach the next two weeks, that is probably my favorite time on the front range bite because we get kind of two perks. Number one, we get the trout starting to get super active. Even though most people think of our, our trout and that spawn phase that being, you know, as late as April, May, a lot of our natural fish, they start getting going in February. We always say that Valentine's Day is one of the peaks for, for some of our bigger rainbows through the ice. It's just when these fish start getting excited, they, they start going into a pre-spawn, they start getting active. Um, and on the front range, more so than even the activity level increase, I would say that we see a huge increase of gathering of the fish. So, you know, right now I go to, to say Chatfield, for example, looking for rainbows. Our fish kind of, you know, kind of spread out. We have some fish in the North Shore boat dock. Uh, we have some fish down on kind of the southwest arm by Fox Run, kind of by the inlet. Um, and we catch trout, you know, fairly, you know, continuous throughout the winter. But really, it's in the next two weeks when those fish gather. Uh, it's really the, the increasing opportunity as that spawn approaches that gets those fish fired up. And more so than fired up, it gathers them. So um, it's nice for the fact that we can go out and have really high number days and on some big fish. So coming up here in the next two weeks, I, I think that we're going to hold ice, especially on that southwest arm at Chatfield. Uh, the, the trees kind of block some of that sun. Um, and that ice just tends to hold down there. So I think we're going to have a, a great rainbow bite that, that's really exciting over the next two weeks there. And then same opportunity with walleye. Um, as we start getting into that, you know, our walleye spawn in March, April, but we start seeing a very heavy pre-spawn, especially on those male walleyes, starting right around that, you know, February 10th, February 12th, February 14th. It, it's right there just as we approach the second week of February that we really get into a lot of that pre-spawn walleye bite. And that those fish just go crazy. The, the males show up in numbers. Um, they get aggressive. And it's a fun bite to, to take advantage of. Um, so with that, I really think that if we can get this ice to hold a little bit longer, uh, the next two weeks are going to be great on that front-range ice. But as you said, you have to use caution. I mean, we're having UV breakdown. The wind is eating things up. Um, and almost even more so than that, as we get snow melt with these hotter days, um, obviously, it's going to increase the flow into the reservoir, which is good for oxygen. But as the you know the the managing sources and Corps of Engineers sees that influx, a lot of times they're going to kind of manage it. They're going to let more water out of that body of water. It doesn't necessarily break up the ice, but it creates a current. And it can really eat up, uh, you know, certain sections of that. So if you happen to be on the ice where there's going to be some current flow underneath, uh, that can definitely shrink that ice uh, thickness and bring on some crazy time. So as we start seeing warmer days, uh, check the ice often. As you get underwater current flows, that's one of those situations where you could be on six, seven inches of great ice, take five steps, and be on two inches because you have current flow underneath you. So just use caution on the front range. Uh, so much changing conditions uh, out there. So so use your spud bar. Check the ice very frequently. Now, any particular presentations for those big front range trout or walleyes that you might recommend to people? You know, absolutely. We're catching them, honestly, on the same thing. So, you know, 
so many anglers are used to fishing for trout up in the high country and, you know, South Park and North Park. They're using small jigs, and those fish will take that. But your front range reservoir trout are feeding on shad, same as a walleye. So opposed to the mountains where they're feeding on scuds and a variety of bugs, um, on the front range, they're definitely more of a hardcore minnow bait, uh, such as like shad. So you can use your same walleye presentations, jigging wraps, blade baits, glide baits. Uh, you know, like the Tika minnow, a lot of those more aggressive baits are, are going to be more successful in the front range for trout, uh, more so than, than they would be up in the hills. So using a lot of aggressive baits, and it's nice because by using a, a blade bait or a jigging wrap, you're opening up your odds to not only catch the trout, but but have that walleye come through uh, that might have that opportunity. So great opportunity for both species in, in those regards. So uh, jigging wraps, blade bait, that's a hot technique. And then that kind of brings us into what I also want to talk about today, um, is the open water opportunity. I know there's a ton of you know anglers that listen to the show that just don't ice fish, or they, they've given it up, or they don't ice fish as much as, as they want to. As our walleyes in particular start going into that pre spawn bite in the next two weeks you look at a reservoir like chatfield chatfield right now is probably holding ice on maybe 60 percent of the body of water um you know something like that 50 60 percent of the lake is frozen the other 50 percent is open water uh there's some open water on the dam there's some open water uh at the handicap point at the south marina point there's some open water in some prime areas uh that i would love to be on on the ice simply for the fact that it's a major area where these males pre spawn and stage up uh, it'll also be one of the first areas that the females stage up on as we get into the third week of february so as we start to approach into february if ice is not your thing um literally grab a jig grab a jerk bait you know if you're going to be out there midday i'd stick with jigs you're going to be in low light periods early and late jerk baits but we are now approaching, not necessarily maybe today, but within the next week, we're going to start seeing our walleyes really starting to gather on that shallow water structure. And there is going to be an open water opportunity uh, for sure within the next two weeks. So even though it's winter, everybody is not thinking about it. You know, now's the time. Spool up those open rod, water rods. Get new line on them. Get your jerk baits out. Change out some hooks. Um, again, not saying that I'm going to drop all my ice fishing. We're right in the heart of it. Uh, but there is going to be some open water opportunities for anglers that are seeking that out very soon. And some of those bites are going to be very good. Well, another thing with some of those early season bites for those walleyes as they start to uh, gather, um, it's one of the few times of the year when you can not only get the small aggressive males, but some of those big females are going to be hanging out. It's probably my second favorite time of the year to go after big walleyes, big fish. Absolutely, Terry. I think the pre-spawn bite is probably my peak time. Um, I mean, I love post-spawn fish, but you get that opportunity at, at those bigger females when when they're at this stage where they're still very heavy with, with spawn material, very heavy with winter fat. Um, I mean, it's definitely some of the, the biggest fish that you will see all year. Uh, I mean, we love those big post-spawn fishes because they're easier to catch, but a big pre-spawn fish is probably one of the most impressive walleyes that you'll see in the year here in Colorado. And this is the time when, when you have the best opportunity at those big double-digit fish. You're looking for a, you know, a 10, 15-pound fish. The next three weeks is going to be your peak times. And honestly, Terry, as a Western-based you know angler, it is it's it's fairly rare to see our big females hanging on structure uh, just by nature of the game, by the food source. 
so much of the year, uh, our bigger females stay suspended, especially at like a Chatfield and Cherry Creek. And so many anglers wonder why they don't catch bigger fish on jigs and live bait rigs in May, June. It's not that those fish don't want to take your presentation. It's simply the, for the fact they don't compete for food. They, they're not in that area so much of, of the year. I mean, you know, 11 and a half months or 11 months out of the year, our big females are going to stay suspended. It's really just this time of year, those pre-spawn stage, that we see those females gathering on structure. And a lot of times, it's what it is right now. It's, it, our ice is going to deteriorate. The boats aren't allowed to be out yet. It's always that kind of magic two-week window in late February where we're not boating, we're not on the ice, uh, and so many of the opportunities for those giant fish is lost. But do it from shore. Get your rods out because, again, this is the, the ultimate opportunity for some giant fish. All right, and one thing I will, I want to get some update on some events from you, but before that, I want to put in a, if you're going to fish like this, Nate's right, it's one of the best times of the year to catch a big fish, but you have to be patient. You're not fishing for those 30, 40 bite days like we get in June. You may get two or three or four bites all day, Nate, but the chance that it could be a monster are there. 100%, I agree, 100% agree with that. All right, so now, well, you got some events coming up yet. Yeah, tell us real quick. So, Terry, so, so coming up this next week in, in Utah, going to Echo Reservoir. Really excited about it. New event for us. Then we have a break over Valentine's Day weekend. And then we are here back in Colorado for our final event at Grand Lake on February 20th. Uh, super excited about this one. It's February 20th at Grand Lake. We're standing with that town. Uh, you know, you've heard us talk about it, but the town had, had a very rough season between COVID and fires, tourism, now lacking snow for snowmobiling. Uh, the town really is strongly supporting ice fishermen. Uh, there's some great deals on lodging, restaurants are catering to it. I mean, you can order food and have it brought down on the ice. So the t- whole town is opening up to ice fishermen, and we're really excited to be out there on Grand Lake on February 20th. Uh, we encourage everybody to sign up. Uh, again, there's plenty of spots. The tournament's not even close to being full. Uh, so sign up. Go to tightlandoutdoors.com. Sign up for that February 20th event. I know it's a ways out, uh, but get signed up. Get your lodging. Uh, stay in the area. Eat out. You know, support the town. It's going to be a great weekend up there, uh, and we're really excited. And our first event at Grand Lake, we were at the Inlet, which is a new location. Now we're right in the heart of town. Uh, in most cases, you can walk from your hotel or walk from the restaurant and walk straight down onto the ice onto our tournament. So just a, a neat venue, and we're excited and encourage everybody to sign up there. So we have that going on. We have all our dates set up for our catch rate event for open water on our website right now. And then, as always, we are guiding. I'm on the ice guiding this morning for Lake Trout, uh, but we have walleye trips available. And then we're also booking for all of our open water trips. So we have Lake Trout, Pike, Rainbows, Walleye. Uh, and, again, we start those walleye trips the second we can get our boats on the water here in March. So a lot of opportunity if you're thinking about a guide trip, uh, not to pressure anybody, but we definitely are booking a ton of trips. So if you want that prime date, a weekend, a moon phase, uh, get a hold of us now because we are definitely going to be, uh, be, be booked up very quickly. So uh, think about that, and I would love to get everybody on the water. And that's tightlineoutdoors.com and tightlineoutdoors on sp- social media. My friend, we will talk again next week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Terry. All right, Nate Zielinski, we're going to take a quick time out, and we're going to go talk to the folks at Jack's Outdoors, and we're going to talk fly fishing. And whether you're a beginner or advanced, maybe some equipment and some of the opportunities going on around the state on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Until the break of day. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors 
brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Speaking of Jack's Outdoor Gear, let's go right to the phones. And joining us, uh, he works at the Jack's Outdoor West in Loveland, is Casey Prather. Good morning, Casey. Good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? Oh, doing well. Doing very well. Thank you. I know. I, I don't know if you got to listen early in the show. We talked to a good friend of ours, Kirk Bean, about fly fishing opportunities. And, you know, it's uh, something that I think too many people put their long rods away in the winter. Everybody does an ice fish and everybody does an open water fish conventionally. And there can be some tremendous fly fishing opportunities right through the winter, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. One of the good things that comes out of all the tailwaters we have in the state. So what are some of your, I know we want to talk about gear and getting started, but before we, before we even get there, what are some of your favorite waters to fish here in the, in the winter, and have you heard how they're fishing? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I reside uh, in northern Colorado, so uh, probably the, the two most convenient fisheries for me would be the Big Thompson and uh, as I'm sure Kirk already explained, uh, you know, right there below Lake Estes in that tailwater section can be uh, a very, very good area. Um, the other stretches that I like are the Pooter, um, which is a little bit lesser known. And uh, there are a few stretches through town that, uh, you know, depending on the weather can be very good. Um, otherwise, just a couple miles up the canyon, uh, Gateway Park, uh, where they're releasing water out of Seaman Reservoir, um, can be another great option as well. And what about some of the other? I know you like to get off to the blue and some of those areas. Have you heard anything about other parts of the state? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, all the South Platte tailwaters, you know, they're pretty consistent. Um, you know, generally good flows through the entire winter time uh, that make it, you know, a viable fishery through the duration of winter. Um, and then, as you said, the blue uh the blue is one of my favorites as well. Um, there's good opportunity there in the town of Silverthorn below uh, Dillon Reservoir. And then uh, just a little ways north out of town um, uh, below Green Mountain can be a tremendous fishery as well. Now, do you approach these fisheries different this time of the year than you do in the winter? Do you use different, I mean, summer, do you use different flies, different techniques? Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, it it kind of requires a little bit more of a tactical approach. Um, generally speaking, you know, you're going to have lower water flows. The water's going to be very clear. Um, it really represents a good opportunity uh, to really pick out your fish and sight fish to them. Um, you know, generally speaking, you're kind of sizing down, um, you know, where you would normally fish, uh, 4 or 5X tippet. Uh, you know, 6X can be a little bit more preferred, um, and fly size, you know, the, the predominant hatch through the wintertime is going to be your midges, so uh, generally smaller flies, kind of more in that 18 to the 20-something size. A little harder to tie on, but uh, um, can be very rewarding. And you typically are fishing below an indicator and getting trying to get drifts through these pods of fish that are in the deeper holes is that right yeah yeah the the fish will tend to kind of pot up in uh, the deeper holes and some of those primary feeding lanes um so yeah everything it it's just a little bit more technical um but if you're willing to put up put in the time you know you can really refine your skills um it, it can be a lot of indicator fishing 
Um, but on the other side, I know a lot of guys who uh, prefer not to use the indicators and high sticking or more of your Euro style nymphing uh, can be very productive as well. Just requires you, a little sneakier approach. And you, you do occasionally get some uh, some topwater action, some dry flies occasionally too when the weather's right. Let's let's move on though. Let's just say that whether I'm a beginning, we've had so many people getting either back to the outdoors or the outdoors again, and we talk about all these opportunities, and they're just going to get more and more as we get into the spring. If I come in and I want to get started fly fishing, what do you need to know from me, and how can you help me out? Uh, you know, the big thing is is kind of knowing what your, what your aim is in fly fishing. If you really want to be able to do a little bit of everything, um, you know, uh, nine, eight and a half to nine foot five weight will take care of just about all your trout needs here in Colorado. Um, you know, if, if you prefer to do more still water, um, you know, and you want to get into some warm water stuff, we can look at a little bit heavier rod for you. But generally, you know, uh, five weight is, is a great all around rod and uh, a wonderful starting point for anyone looking to get into the sport of fly fishing. Now, I know you carry a lot of the top-end rods like Orvis, Reddington, St. Croix. And if, when you get to be a more advanced fly angler, um, you learn to cast. You know, it becomes kind of uh, y- your performance with those rods improves, but it takes some technique to handle those rods that are that are a little more difficult to load, and they're also a little more difficult to control. They'll, they'll also magnify your mistakes. So I always like starters to maybe start out with a rod, a rod that's a little more forgiving. It loads a little easier. What do you have for the beginner, and how much do I have to spend? Yeah, so uh, we we offer some really nice kits that come from uh, both Temple Fork Outfitters and Reddington, um, and they start anywhere around uh, oh 130 to 150, and go up to the low 200s. And with this, you're going to get uh, a rod, a reel, and then the reel is all put together. So you're going to have backing, a quality fly line, and a leader on it. Essentially, you could open this package, tie a fly on, and be out on the water. Yeah, and and you have those in different weights, too. If somebody wants maybe do a little more delicate and want to do a four, you have the fives. Can you take them up to a six or seven if that's what they're looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're we're definitely heavier on inventory for that five weight, just because it's kind of a, a good all around. Um, but uh, we've got that package in three and four weights, as well as uh, six, um, seven, and eight weight. Uh, if you're really looking to, you know, say get into throwing some bigger stuff for bass and whatnot, the eight weight can be a great option. Well, and even though these are less expensive kits. The quality of these kits, especially from those type of manufacturers, has just gotten so good. A TFO kind of led that revolution several years ago with a good friend of mine, Lefty Cray. And the, you saw the, the explosion where it used to be if you bought an inexpensive fly rod, it was this whippy fiberglass thing that you really couldn't hardly fish with. But actually, these are rods you can fish with for your whole life, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, these are great quality rods um you know and they really are designed for you know really every kind of caster um they've got enough power to where if you really need to sling a lot of line you know you can punch it but uh you know delicate enough to where uh a more intermediate or beginner angler can still fill the line load up 
And, you know, the big thing when you're getting into fly fishing, I notice a lot of new anglers that, you know, they want to go out and they want to throw that entire fly line. And I tell people all the time, you know, you're better to be able to hit a paper plate at 30 feet than you are to hit the side of a barn at 100 feet. Well, you're absolutely right. In fact, I'll bet more fish are caught within 20 feet of an angler in Colorado than the rest of the distances combined. It comes down to making a presentation. I also see people get enamored with casting and that, that fly can spend a lot of time in the air and not much time on the water. Oh, yeah, that's the truth. And, uh, you know, uh, you're not going to catch anything if that fly is not in the water. So, yeah. How much, how's your, you know, the, we were talking about supply chain over the last few weeks and what's going on. How are your supplies with fly gear, whether it's rods, reels, tying equipment? Are you pretty well stocked? Yeah, we are pretty well stocked. You know, um, th- every once in a while you'll have a one or two day period where you catch us where we're a little bit low on certain items. Uh, but the manufacturers have been really good uh, about getting things back to us and filling in the holes. Um, you know, little things like leaders, ten leaders and tippet especially, um, you know, they can sell pretty quick. But uh, right now, I'd say we're getting orders coming in, you know, almost weekly, if not biweekly. So uh, there, there generally is always a very good stock on hand. And you uh, typically work at the... Loveland West store, which is the one that used to be the big Kmart as you're heading out to town. You guys have totally revamped that into a Jack's outdoor and farm and ranch store. It's just a beautiful store. Um, so, and, and you, and so you have all that. And of course, all your, your outdoor gear locations will probably have everything you need to get fly fishing. Casey, we are out of time. Uh, there's so much more I wanted to talk to you about. We'll probably get you back on again here in a couple of weeks. Sounds great, Terry. Always a pleasure. All right, thank you. That's uh, Casey Prather from uh, Jack's Outdoor Gear in Loveland. We are going to uh, take a time out. We come back, Chad Lachance is going to join us, and he's going to tell us how to blacken fish in wild game. I love his cooking segments. They are so good. All that more coming up on Terry Wisham Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I want to say thanks to our producer in studio today, Weston Salty. I, I believe he's going to turn six years old today, too. So he has kept he has kept the show running smoothly with the help from his assistant, Karen, who used to be our producer. I think she'll probably be back next week. But he's filling in admirably, and he's doing well. So thank you, Weston. Let's go right to the phones now. Joining us, as he does every couple weeks at this time, is Chad Lachance. And Chad... You join us a lot of times. You talk fishing techniques, hunting techniques. You're an avid outdoorsman. But I got to tell you, I think sometimes I enjoy your cooking techniques even more than your outdoor segments. <laughs> well, thanks, Terry. I appreciate that, I think. I, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, uh, cooking, fishing game is, is brings, you know, the outdoors full circle for me. And, and I've always been a, a, an avid cook my whole life since I was a little kid. So it, I think it just goes hand in hand. And uh, you know, when I mentioned bringing up this segment of blackening, uh, the reason I wanted to do the blackening process specifically is because it is so versatile for a whole wide range of fishing game. But, uh, but I figured it'd be a good one for people to understand because you can do so much different stuff with it. Well, and I love um, blackened redfish. I go when I go to Louisiana. I'll have within a week. I'll have blackened redfish at three different red uh, restaurants. And 
Uh, you had lamb at my house one time that I blackened for you that came just delicious. To me, it's one of my favorite cooking techniques, and you and I do a lot of cooking, a lot of pairing of foods and wines. Kind of take us through the process. How do you approach it? Yeah, all right. Well, first of all, blackening is a technique. It's not a recipe or a specific spice. It's a technique, just like broiling or braising or something else. And it really it's a high heat, and it's a relatively violent way to cook something. But on the other hand, it develops an incredible flavor crust and uh, and makes just almost any kind of, of protein taste really good. But there's some keys to it. Uh, first of all, I already alluded to it. The heat needs to be serious. And, and, and when I say serious, like I'm a cast iron guy. This is not something you could do on a grill or you will have a fire. It is not something you can do in, in nonstick or your process won't work correctly. It needs to be a heavy steel pan. In my case, cast iron all the time. Cast iron is what the technique was invented for. Uh, or vented in, I should say, and, uh, and it just works the best. So I like to get a cast iron skillet with no fat in it, get it very hot. I mean, like like hot. Like if you put a drop of water on it, it needs to bounce off, sizzle, and be gone instantaneously. You want the, the, the cast iron to be hot, and that takes time because you don't want just the bottom of the pan hot. You want to heat it all the way through, make sure the whole pan's hot because that thermal momentum and mass is very, very important to the whole process. So the first thing with blackening is you need plenty of heat in your skillet. What that also means is you're going to have plenty of smoke in your skillet. So if you've got a, you know, a microwave over your stove with a, with a built-in deal on it, you know, a little vent on it, that's probably not going to handle it. Your smoke alarms are going to go off. So if at all possible, I try to do it outside. Uh, you know, on, on the Camp Chef or however it is, you can get your pan really hot. But that's is something that needs to be taken taken seriously because you will smoke yourself out of the house. I have a 800 CFM range hood that sucks right out of the side of the house, so I can do it inside. But uh, not something you probably want to do in an apartment somewhere. Uh, and then the next thing is your fat is very, very important. The fat that you choose has got to be butter, and there, there's a reason for that. It can't, you can't do oil. It can't be margarine. can't be bacon fat. You need the milk solids that are in whole butter. Uh, it can't be clarified butter even. You need the milk solids because the milk solids are largely what blackens in the skillet and gives the, the creative, you know, the, the, the crust that the technique is known for. So you need melted Unsalted butter uh, is the way to do it. And then the next thing that's really, really important is the thickness of your fillets, whether it be a, a venison steak, a, a redfish fillet, of whatever, a, a hunk of boneless rabbit, I mean, a, a skinless, boneless chicken breast. Anything like that is really, really good with this technique. The key is it can't be more than about a half of an inch thick or maybe a little bit more than that because you're only going to cook it for a couple of minutes on each side, and you need it to be able to go all the way through the meat, obviously, and heat it up. So when I've done boneless, skinless chicken thighs blackening, uh, I'll pound them out with a mallet and make them thinner. Same thing with a breast, or I'll butterfly it. Uh, if it's a fish fillet, obviously fish just barely has to be cooked all the way through, so it could be it could be maybe a little bit thicker, but certainly if you're going to do a venison steak or something like that, it can't be much more than about a half of an inch thick. And then the other thing is the meat needs to be very dry. So if you can form a pellicle on it, stick it in the fridge, uh, uncovered for you know an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and let it get very, very dry, or at the very least pat it as dry as you can, uh, that's important as well because you want the butter to do its have the best chance of sticking to the meat and if there's moisture between the meat and the butter it won't happen so 
that's the next thing is your meat needs to be very, very dry. So the process goes basically like this. I'm going to take a, a blackened filet. I want it to be a portion size that I can handle. So I need to be able to flip it easily with a spatula. I can't, I don't want to do a whole giant filet. I probably want to chunk it down into, you know, five ounce portions, something like that. I'm going to coat it with the liquid butter. I'm going to melt the butter. I'm going to coat it with the liquid butter on both sides. I'm going to do that in my hand, typically with a glove on, because if you put it on a plate, it will pull the butter off onto the plate, especially if the plate is cold. So you want to have as much butter on the fish as, as you can get. And then I'll give it a liberal coating of a store-bought blackening seasoning. I use Paul Perdomes because it's classic, but there's a bajillion different brands of them. Just watch out. Some of them are primarily salt, and those won't won't be ideal for you. So you want to make sure that whatever seasoning you're using has got some good flavor. And Paul Perdomes, I know, does the black and redfish seasoning. But uh, give it a liberal coating of the seasoning on the butter and then straight into the skillet. And when you when you slap that thing down the skillet, if it doesn't make a tremendous amount of smoke right away, your skillet was not hot enough. We're, we're not looking for the Maillard reaction. We don't want a little even browning, you know, golden brown delicious crust. We need it hot enough to burn the milk solids and caramelize the seasoning that I put on there to give it that characteristic black color. Now, Terry, and you know this, there's a fine line between blackening and straight up burning something to the point where it tastes bitter. So you've got to be a little bit careful with that. But the key is, and I learned this a long time ago, take it to the edge of burning, but don't burn it. So you've got to keep your nose around, keep a good smell on it. it. Typically, if your skillet's hot enough, you're going to flip it at about the minute and a half or two minute mark at the most. And then I'm going to go ahead and flip it, do the same thing on the other side. And then depending on what kind of meat it is that I'm, that I'm cooking, if it's something like venison, I'll put it on a plate on the side and let it rest. If it's a piece of fish, I'll go right to my serving plates with it. Uh, same thing with chicken, something like that. But that crust on the outside should be somewhere between brown and black. The milk solids will cook off. The seasoning will have a little bit of a salty, a little bit spicy, a little bit sweet. It'll almost develop a crunch to it. And, uh, and it's just very, very difficult to beat a, a piece of fish or venison that's cooked like that because the flavor is robust, the, the meat is tender, and it's just absolutely delicious. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. So you got me wa- my mouth watering. I'm probably going to have to I, – I happen to have uh, some antelope in my freezer that I might have to blacken this weekend. That I oh, yes, sir. I got that from a very good friend of mine, and I'll bet it would just lend itself to this. What about sides? Real quick, you got a couple minutes. When I do black and redfish, my favorite side is dirty rice because I'm in love with those New Orleans flavors. Do you have some recommendations for sides with blackened protein? Well, I'm making five pounds of black and redfish today, Terry. A friend of mine caught some, brought him back from Louisiana. He wanted me to teach him the technique. So he's coming over, and we're going to cook five pounds of redfish for a couple of neighbors today. And I am making dirty rice, uh, and I'm making that with some chorizo in it. And, uh, of course, the, the classic, you know, with the trinity, the bell pepper and onions and, and garlic and uh, a little bit of chicken stock, stuff like that. I think that's a really, really good side with it. I also think it pairs really well with some sort of a – a chutney, a mango chutney, a pineapple chutney, some sort of a of a cold salsa over the top. It's something with a little bit acidic and a little bit sweet to make it pop. Goes really good with it. Um, also, a southern grits recipe of some sort. You know, if you want, if you want to be fancy, you can call it polenta. But I'm from the south, so we'd call it grits. And uh, you know, some grits with a little bit of sharp cheddar or something in them goes really good with blackening as well. 
Um, that's that's one of my favorites too, and 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 just fresh chilled fruit. I mean, just just plain slices of chilled fruit goes fantastic with blackened fish, particularly. And uh, you know, it's one of my favorite things. It takes two or three minutes to cook. The, the big thing is the smoke is an issue, so you need to be able to go outside or whatever uh, to be able to cook it. That's really the only major limitation to it. And that you know, but other than that, it's just one of my absolute favorites. Now, I'm going to give them a wine tip. Most people will tell you if you're going to have fish like this that you need to pair it with a white wine, and that's fine. And if you've got pretty intense spices, you might want something that's a little off-dry like a Riesling, or you might do a Pinot Grigio. But go to some Italian wines like a Sangiovese or a Montepulciano. These wines are made to go with spicier Italian food. They don't have the tannins of a Merlot or a Cab, so you're not going to get that metallic taste. They have some acid in them to help with the fish, yet they've got great fruits in them. You might be pleasantly surprised how well they'll go. Chad, we got to run. How do people find you if they want more information? At Fishful Thinker across uh, Facebook, Instagram, or on YouTube, there's a video of us blackening catfish on my YouTube channel right now at Fishful Thinker. And, of course, they can email me through fishfulthinker.com. We are booking guide trips for this year at this point, and they're actually booking relatively quick, so we're pretty excited about it. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again soon. And you and I have to get ready to get on the water. We haven't fished together for way too long. No, sir, I agree, but we might have to eat some blackened fish in the meantime. Well, as long as you get some dirty rice with it, I'll bring the wine. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great, Terry. I appreciate it very much. All right, thanks, Chad. Chad Lachance. We're going to take time out, and we come back, we'll wrap up this edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. The Eagles, best American band of all time. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. I want to wrap up a few things. First of all, if you enjoy the programming you hear on this show, follow us on Facebook. We take a lot of the podcasts and we link them on Facebook. Now, you can go to 104.3thefan.com and get podcasts from months and months ago and, and listen to them, either by a segment or by an entire hour. Um, but we link ones that we think are particular, per, particularly pertinent to um, to the topics that are going on right at the time. So follow us on Facebook. Also, we're going to start doing trivia again. And trivia, uh, what we tend to do with trivia is we get some really good prizes. And the trivia question is usually answered on Facebook in the week prior to us asking the question. So if you follow us on Facebook, you'll know the answer and have a chance to win some really good prizes. Also, a lot of the fishing we talked about in today's show, um, there's the exact same opportunity in the same place and using the same techniques available on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. About half, there's about 150 episodes up there, and about half of them were filmed right here in your backyard. Some of them are travel. We go to the Arctic Circle. We go to the equator. We go across the country. But about half of them were filmed right here in your backyard, and there's a lot of great, great, great information uh, that you can find there on all the things. Remember, we're going to have a great ice fishing bite yet on the front range here, but safety first because the ice conditions are going to change. There'll be great ice fishing up in the mountains for quite some time, but be a little careful when you're getting out there. Front range is going to offer some big trout and some walleye bites, but you have to be extremely careful and check the ice. We're going to see more and more open water opportunities as we move towards spring down here, and we'll talk a lot about those. One of the things I really want to address, though, is we saw a lot of people get into the outdoors 
uh, last year, whether they returned to outdoor activities they had done when they were younger or they took up activities for the first time. And the supply chain had been shut down because they were afraid of COVID early in the year, and then it never caught up. Now, it seems like on the fishing side, the supply chain is starting to catch up. But I would start going through your spring fishing gear right now. Do you need a new combo for the kids to take them out? Do you need new line on some of your rods and reels? Do you need a new rod and reel? Are there some particular lures that you've heard about or want to try? Maybe you've heard about them on the show or you've seen them on our YouTube channel or you've seen them on TV. I would start shopping. I'd go to the Jack store near you. They have great selection. And I'd start looking now as this stuff starts coming in because if the supply chain doesn't catch up, and we get right into the heart of fishing, you may not be able to get the tackle you want. That doesn't mean you have to go out and just overly stock up. But if there's particular things you need, go out and start looking at your tackle. I'm going to start pulling my non-ice fishing tackle boxes out, going through them, see if I need to replenish some of the consumables, if there's any new baits I want to add to it. And most importantly, I'm going to check the line on all my reels, and anything that had monofilament will be replaced. Most that had fluorocarbon will be replaced, and I'll check all of the super lines to make sure they're ready. If not, take that reel into the store if you need to, or at least go in and talk to the people at Jackson. Get some line. Line there's a lot of line out there, but you want to get the right line. And we'll we'll do some shows over the next few weeks about picking the right line. So make sure you do that. Like I said, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on YouTube. And be ready for the trivia. trivia. If you're going to follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, you're going to have a chance to win some really good, great prizes. You're going to know what's coming up on the show. Like in uh, two weeks, the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife is going to join us on the show live. And we're going to ask some questions and get his his take on the state of the outdoor community here in Colorado and Parks and Wildlife in particular. So maybe you want to, you know, send a message to us and say, hey, would you ask him this? I can't guarantee that, but we'll certainly try to run those things by him. So do all those things. Now, before we turn it over, um, I think DMAC and uh, – and Mike Evans are going to come on after me today. I was hoping they could have joined me on the air because I have some questions to ask them. So hopefully they're listening, and I'll put these out there. The whole community now, we're up in arms about Nolan Arenado. Unqualified, one of the best baseball players to ever play in Colorado. Also had a, has a tremendous contract. Now, a lot of you know, baseball went through a tough time with covid uh, no stand, no people in the stands. They don't have the TV type contracts on a regional basis like the NFL does. So their their resources, their monies are going to be down. And a contract like Nolan's in this market could almost be crippling. Also, it could be the other way around where you just dismantle the team. I don't know the motives of the Rockies, and I'm sure that Mike and DMac are going to get into that. But I'm not as dismayed as some of the other people. Uh, this are is Mike. Mike Evans or DMAC in the studio? They we, are, are, we are here. We yes. are here. Hello, yes, Terry. We well, first of all, i got to say, Mr. Evans, it's nice to talk to you. You are. We just had Chad LaChance on, uh-huh. and you guys were the, were the first ever as a tandem to fill in while I went somewhere on vacation. Yeah, I was thinking I was talking about, uh, you know, spinners and, uh, you know, trout and uh, conditions at uh, different reservoirs. It was a blast. Yeah, how long ago was that? Oh God, that was about uh, that was about seven, eight years ago, maybe. Oh, maybe more like maybe, ten or twelve. Maybe, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, it was a long time ago, it was but fun. anyway, I, you you heard my. I was getting started there. Here's my take 
on the Nolan Arenado thing. And you guys can chastise me if you want. You're the you're the sports guys. I'm the outdoor guy. But Nolan Arenado, there's no question he's a great baseball player. But over the last few years, every time the Rockies were in a position to maybe make the playoffs or to they were in the playoffs and needed their superstar to stay to step up, he's gone invisible. He's his stats are always good. He drives in a lot of runs. He has a high batting average. He's unquestionably one of the best defensive third basemen we'll ever see. But he's never been that superstar that grabs the team and helps pull them across the finish line. Do you have a comment on that? There is some there is some validity to that. You know, the last time they were in the playoffs, he didn't do much. Um, but I think it still comes back, Terry, to the idea of did, did we all kind of see this coming? Did it all, all kind of seem sort of inevitable pandemic or no pandemic, especially once you started to see the uh, problems between Arenado and general manager Jeff Breidich, was this inevitable and should this deal have ever been done in the first place? Well, and I think the other thing that I fear is this going to spread to people like Trevor Story or some of our young pitchers. Well, I I think that unfortunately the the reputation's already been cemented that the, the Rockies aren't necessarily a place that We'll, uh, we'll go the extra mile to try to build a winning team. But it does go to show, in terms of sports opinions, whether you're tying flies or catching flies, oh, you're more than valid you with your opinion, Terry. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys, I tell you what, I'll close this out and let, the, let them get to you, and you can fill the people in on your thoughts on this. Sounds good. So that's going to wrap up Terry Wickstrom Outdoors for this episode. Is obviously, you're going to have Mac and Mike Evans coming on, and I think they're going to talk a lot about this Arenado deal coming up and maybe some other sports right here on 104.3 The Fan. Those voices are